The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. A passage from Luke this morning is one of the most famous in all of Scripture. And as many of you probably know, uh, the Annunciation, as this passage is known, has been the subject of untold probably millions of images, of paintings uh, throughout Christian history. It's one of the oldest and most important themes in Christian history. And I was uh, looking at some of these paintings as I was meditating on this passage. And while some of them, many of them, are exquisite in their use of color and composition and so forth, I have found them lacking in a particular, particular characteristic And that is any insight into what's going on in the mind of Mary. Because for me, uh, the psychological state of Mary, what's going on in her mind, is the point of entry for me into this story, and perhaps for you as well. So I did a little little more searching on the Internet and found uh, a modern depiction of the Annunciation, which begins to, for me anyway, uh, get me into in an imaginative way, what might have been going on in Mary's head when this encounter took place. It's by a man named John Collier, and it is a contemporary setting, and it shows a girl who's probably 12 or 13 years old. She's wearing saddle shoes and a blue jumper. A a 12 or 13 year old girl wearing saddle shoes and a blue jumper over a white T-shirt. 
Now, many of you may have had a young person in your life who is inseparable from a book. Wherever this child goes, there's a book right in front of her, whether she's walking, whether she's waiting in line with her mom or her dad to uh, finish to the checkout line at at a store, or she's reading in the car. She just always has a book right in front of her. Well, the painting captures the moment when Mary comes out of her suburban house, out of the front door, reading a book, and she comes upon an angel who looks suspiciously like a priest with wings. (laughs) And his hands held together in prayer like this. Well, Mary has just looked up and seen the angel, and her expression is one of kind of gentle skepticism, maybe of slight amusement, um, of some, some suspicion. It's, it's an expression sort of like, you can't be serious. Or, um, and you would be who? <laughs> but also just, just, just the slightest wisp of, of unease, just, just a little shadow of that crossing her face. That helps me, because I want to know more about what's going on in Mary's head. As portrayed in our text this morning, she really doesn't say much. She's shown asking one question, how can this be? The angel does most of the talking. But if you sit for a second with this situation, you can probably imagine some of the questions that might be going on in Mary's head. What about my reputation? My wedding? My family. Am I going to be dragged away and stoned for this? That's what could have happened by Jewish law at that time. Will my mother and father still love me? What about Joseph? Will he stick by me? And yet the only other words she has given are, Here am I, servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Now, this response is often portrayed as a choice. You know, the history of salvation hanging on the words of this tweener. God is offering her a scenario that she could have said no to, this thinking goes. And instead of saying no, she says yes. But let's look at what the angel is actually saying on behalf of God. God isn't asking Mary anything. God is telling Mary what will happen. God will do this. God will do that. God will do this other thing. In the English translation we have, 12 times does the angel say such and such will happen. It will happen. So it doesn't seem to me that Mary had much of a choice except to decide how she would face a set of circumstances over which she had no control. And yet, this is exactly the sort of choice that most of us are faced with much of the time in our lives. How shall we respond to circumstances that we didn't choose and perhaps desperately do not want. Mary asks, how can this be? 
how can this be, might be our question as well. I haven't asked for this. I don't want it. Health declines. Relationships fall apart. Economies fail. Or perhaps we have a wonderful, unexpected possibility that it could change everything and we, we just don't want to change. We still have the freedom and I would say the responsibility to say yes or no. We say yes or no no matter what, don't we? In not answering, we answer. I've been influenced greatly by Barbara Brown Taylor in my pondering on this passage. And I want to quote her when she says, We can say, I will live in the life that is being held out to me or not. I will explore this unexpected turn of events or I will not. Saying no to the inevitable or to the reality that stares you in the face can lead to great stress. I have a friend who tells me stress is resisting what is. And many of us live with tremendous stress in our lives. As we say no to the inevitable, we can become bitter and resentful and angry, comparing ourselves to others whose fates seem, anyway, much better than our own. And we can live like this. We certainly can, and we often do. And then, as Barbara Brown Taylor puts it, to quote her again, you can rest assured that no angels will ever trouble you again. Or we can say yes. We can say yes. Again, to use Barbara Brown Taylor's words, you can decide to be a daredevil, a test pilot, a gambler. You can set your book down. Remember these enunciation scenes, even in the oldest paintings, they often have Mary with a book reading out of the Hebrew Bible about Isaiah foretelling what's happening to her right now. You can set your book down and listen to a strange creature's strange idea. You can decide to take part in a plan you do not choose, doing things you do not know how to do for reasons you do not entirely understand. You can take part in a thrilling and dangerous scheme with no script and no guarantees. Now, as we know, saying yes in no way means that we're no longer afraid it just means that we will not let our fear freeze us out of the fertile chaos of life. Last week, I suggested that maybe one of the hats we are to wear in our Christian identities is the hat of John the Baptist. And pointing away from ourselves, as John did, to where we see God at work in the world helps us, helps to prepare us and the world to encounter the light of Christ that is present in the world if only we have eyes to see. Well, this week, I want to suggest that we also have a Mary hat in our wardrobe, a Mary persona that is part of our Christian identity. In daring to say yes, to the wild ride of circumstances in God's world, circumstances unchosen, unexpected, undeserved, and maybe unimaginable, full of heartbreak as well as joyful possibility, 
we, like Mary, also participate in the bearing, in the birthing of God into the world. Some of you know that in the Eastern Orthodox tradition of Christianity, Mary is called the Theotokos, which is Greek for God-bearer, the bearer of God into the world. She alone in human history was chosen to bear Jesus, to bear God in this particular way into the world. And yet, and yet it's not just for her. Meister Eckhart, who is a Christian mystic and theologian, who was a Christian mystic and theologian from the 14th century, wrote this about what it means to be the mother of God. And I'm quoting here. What good is it to me if the eternal birth of the divine Savior takes place unceasingly, but does not take place within myself? And what good is it to me if Mary is full of grace and I am not also full of grace? And what good is it to me for the creator to give birth to his son if I do not also give birth to him in my time? And culture. Be it unto me according to your word. Amen.